Welcome to Breaking Free Authentically, the podcast where we explore what redefining relationships looks like through a sex-positive lens. Let's kick shame and guilt to the curb and really start living a sexy, authentic life. I'm passionate about normalizing out-of-the-box ways of designing relationships. There's nothing quite like finding your tribe and experiencing the freedom of being completely yourself without judgment. I'm your host, Kareen Bedard, your sex-positive relationship designer, and I'm here to guide you in creating the relationship you desire, whether that is a more open one or simply a more empowered one. Join me every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to enjoy the newest episode. Welcome back to Breaking Free Authentically. I'm so glad you're back again this week. This is uh, episode six, and this has been a difficult one to come together for me. I think I wanted to say too much, and then I took a bunch of stuff out, and then I put it back in. But what I've come to is I want this to be about relationship myths and how they affect us. Because I think that we don't even realize the concepts that are in our culture, in our songs, in our lyrics, in um, quotes, and just the way we view love and how that actually affects our relationships and how we see ourselves and who we are within the relationship. So I want to point this out. I want to bring attention to it because it's really important to me that I start with this before I start to break down the different kinds of relationships because I think that we need to understand just kind of a baseline of what are unhealthy things and where do they come from. So that's what I'm going to hopefully try to clear up today. So let me start with some lyrics. Um, But before I do that... We have an epidemic of I need you to need me type mentality when it comes to relationships. Um, Some would call this toxic monogamy, but I don't want to call it that because I think that these same concepts just are toxic relationship things in any context. So forget about monogamy, non-monogamy. It has nothing to do with that. But I think that monogamy has played a part in making these sort of unhealthy characteristics more prevalent because there's no other choices and because people, well, you'll see as we go on. Let me start with, there's an article I was reading this week um, and it's written by Lydia Legs. She has a a playlist on Spotify too, I Need You to Need Me um, playlist. But I thought it was really interesting, and I I wish I could play some of the songs that that I've looked at because um, that would be fun, but then I'd have to get the rights and all that good stuff, so I can't. So I'll just be reading some lyrics and stuff, but I want you to kind of pay attention to what's going on. She says, um, she starts her article with this. When discussing relationship difficulties with friends and partners in the last few years, I've noticed a common theme that arises time and time again. Our desperate need for validation and affirmations of self-worth. And we waste 
enormous amounts of time and effort looking for this validation in the wrong places, usually in other people. I'm currently interested in how deeply this need affects our daily behavior and often has a negative impact on our lives and relationships. So this quote that that she wrote, I, I feel like is a really good way to start. She has a few songs, but one of the songs that that she talks about is Oh Darling by the Beatles. So some of you might know that one. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics because she responds with a letter to Mr. McCartney. And I want to read that after, but I'm going to read the lyrics first so you get an idea. So pay attention to the lyrics and um, know that she's going to be talking to him about the lyrics. So pay attention. Oh, darling, please believe me. I'll never do you no harm. Believe me when I tell you I'll never do you no harm. Oh, darling, if you leave me, I'll never make it alone. Believe me when I beg you, don't ever leave me alone. When you told me you didn't need me anymore, well, you know, I nearly broke down and cried. When you told me you didn't need me anymore, well, you know, I nearly broke down and cried. Oh, darling, if you leave me, I'll never make it alone. Believe me when I tell you, I'll never do you no harm. When you told me you didn't need me anymore... Well, you know, I nearly broke down and cried. When you told me you didn't need me anymore, well, you know, I nearly fell down and died. Oh, darling, please believe me. I'll never let you down. Believe me when I tell you, I'll never do you no harm. She responds to this, and I thought it was a little comical, but so, so true. So I'm going to read this. And it's just going to point out some things. So, dear Mr. McCartney, it is clear that this person evokes some strong emotions within you, and I thank you for being courageous enough to lay them so disturbingly bare before us. Firstly, I am concerned about your initial reaction to enter into some sort of a bargaining plea when your partner announces their wish to begin the process of separation. I am aware that a man in your position of privilege may be unused to dealing with situations that diverge from your desired outcome, but a healthy relationship must always be one in which all parties are free to leave. What possible pleasure could you derive from keeping your partner in a relationship under duress? To be clear, this is a rhetorical question, and we have further work to do if you were starting to form a genuine answer. May I also suggest that the terms of your negotiation are less than attractive. Given that the promise to never cause your partner no harm is really more of a clarification that you are not a criminal than a hyperbolic demonstration of your powers as a compassionate, respectful lover. As already discussed in previous correspondence about your attitudes towards love, we find this persistent theme of need arising again. In no longer needing you, your partner seems to have reached a much more advanced point in their journey toward self-love. In a healthy relationship, this lack of need is something to celebrate and not break down and cry over. If you truly love this person, is it possible to turn your own fear of abandonment into joy about your partner's emotional and spiritual independence? Try to ask yourself whether you seek genuine connection or whether you need this person to be dependent on you. What kind of validation are you seeking? 
I strongly advise taking some time to nurture your own underdeveloped feelings of self-worth before embarking on any new romantic partnerships. When you eventually love yourself enough to make it alone, you will ironically become much more attractive to potential new lovers. And find that people here, there, and everywhere will be much more inclined to let you call them darling. Despite the intense relationship grief you are currently experiencing, and although it may seem that your troubles are here to stay, I believe you have the necessary strength to make positive changes. It may be a long and winding road, but you have already come such a long way since your intimacy issues about hand-holding. Bon courage for the next steps on your journey. Dr. Legs. So I thought that was that was quite apropos. It's interesting though that um that that's such a foreign concept what she's talking about, but it really is actually <laughs> this idea of of rejoicing in in your partner's growth and wanting to leave as as they become more self-sufficient. That's just not a common common mindset at all. Um, we do want people to depend on us and need us. It's part of our attachment wounds often. So when we get back, we're going to take a look at the relationship myths and problems that I see in our culture that sort of propel and further these myths and why we hang on to them and, and then how they affect us. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Please visit our website at breakingfreeauthentically.com and subscribe to our mailing list so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave a review on Podchaser by clicking the link at the top of the page. That would mean the world to me. Finally, I'd love to have you join our private Facebook community and oasis called Breaking Free to Be Authentically Me. All links will be in the show notes. Enjoy the show. We are back. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate you and as a listener, and I want the best for you. I want you to be the most authentic version of yourself and have the most authentic, beautiful relationships that you can possibly have. So I'm going to attempt to break down some of the myths that we kind of have been conditioned to believe in our culture. I often talk about the societal and religious programming that we have and how it informs our actions and how we see relationships and that we need to reprogram and it's 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 worth looking at that programming. So we're going to take a look at the programming and what it says whether you're aware of it or not. It's very valid to do that. So last week we talked about my manifesto. I, I read you my manifesto and I had some beliefs in there of things that need to change about marriage and relationships in general. So I'm just going to read them quickly just to refresh your memory. And you'll see that some of the things that we're going to cover today fit in the same categories as this. Um, so I'm not going to really explain them all because I think I did quite a bit of that in my manifesto. Um, and I know that I'm going to expound on things further as we, you know, as we go so number one, I said, marriage is expected to last forever. Number two, marriage is only between one man and one woman. Three, 
emotional connections outside the marriage with the opposite sex is frowned upon in many cases. Usually more in religious cases, but really there's a lot of toxic things happening um, within relationships that have that aren't religious. Marriage should meet four. Marriage should meet all our needs. Five, being married means you belong to your spouse. This sense of ownership. Six, sex outside of marriage is wrong. Seven, jealousy and self-sacrifice equals love. Eight, loving more than one person intimately is not possible. Nine, sexual freedom is shameful, shameful and slut-shaming is okay. Ten, Sex and love are not mutually exclusive. And 11, setting boundaries in your life is mean, especially in marriage. So these are some of the things that really affect our relationships. So let's take a look at a problematic, well, let's just look at phrases and quotes that that are part of, you know, I often look up love quotes to send um, to my boyfriend or something that I want to send. And I find that, ah, I have trouble with a lot of them because they have these innate messages that I don't agree with. And it really is hard to find things that don't contain that. Some of the things you'll find is you complete me or you're my everything. I'm nothing without you. You are the only one for me. You're my other half or other people refer to you know, your partner as your other half. And that's not necessarily bad, but it is, you know, something that, meaning that you're not a whole without them. All you need is love. You own my heart. And here's a full quote that I thought was particularly interesting. I don't want anyone else to have your heart, kiss your lips, or be in your arms because that is my place. And these things all sound sweet and wonderful if you really don't think about it very hard. You complete me. You're my everything. I'm nothing without you. Those are just common loving phrases. But what are they saying at their core? If you're saying you complete me, essentially you're saying that I'm not complete without you. And that's not like a horrible thing to say, but if you really are saying these things without thinking about it, there's this thought process inside where you do feel like you're not enough without someone. And so this idea that you need to be completed and then when you find that person that you are complete, a suggestion of of maybe, you know, if you're saying you completely, maybe you're saying that we fit well together or we work well together or we're a good match, we're a good pair, um, you know, we we help each other out. Those are all great things. But that underlying message of I'm nothing without you or I'm not enough without you isn't there. You're my everything. Well, if you're my everything, then what are other things in my life, right? Like, are, can I not have other people in my life that are also meaningful if you're my everything? And what about me? Am I not something to myself? So, I know that it seems nitpicky, but the the core message is hear me out and stick with me here. 
I'm nothing without you. Well, again, that's an implied that you're not enough without someone or you aren't anything without someone. And that's, that's not healthy at its core. All you need is love. Well, we know that we need more than just love in a relationship. Love isn't just going to carry it through. You own my heart. That's a scary thing to say when we talk about ownership. And we're going to get into some of these uh, these myths and we're going to go a little deeper on there. But you own my heart. It sounds really lovely. You own my heart. But that means that someone owns your heart. They own a part of you, which means that they have rights to you, which means that you don't have autonomy in certain ways. And there's there's some problematic things to that. If someone believes that they actually own your heart, that means that it's theirs and it can't belong to anybody else either. It can't belong to you. It can't belong to family or friends or this or that. Like they, There's a lot of implications for that. And we don't think of that as being a big deal. But as you can see, as you'll be able to see later, I'm going to just talk a few about these different myths that show why these things are problematic. How are they perceived? Like I said, like they're perceived as these loving, normal comments that people say, but there, there is harm in there. And, and the undercurrent to these phrases, like I said, is this, this, idea that you need someone else to complete you or that you aren't enough on your own. And I talk a lot about you being your own primary partner. And I think this concept is not taught to us that we need to love ourselves and, and look out for ourselves and, and love who we are. And when we feel whole as a person, we can come together as two whole people. One of the things, you know, like if we're talking about like love phrases and things like that, um, I'm going to get into songs in a minute, but there's some monogamous beliefs and rituals that we have in our culture that propel some of these unhealthy ideas. And I'm just going to touch on a few of them. We know that monogamy is the, the norm in our culture. And there's nothing wrong with monogamy if we're not applying these unhealthy mindsets and possibly toxic sort of mentalities to it. There's nothing wrong with monogamy. Again, if you choose monogamy for yourself, that's awesome. But you do need to realize that there are some things that you might be buying into that you don't realize if you're not aware. And some of these like beliefs and rituals like at weddings and things like that, I remember becoming one is is a belief and a ritual that definitely is very strongly held in the church. It's this idea of, you know, becoming one and that you should meld together as one. So we have the unity candles and often there's the two individual candles and you take those two candles that are lit and you put them together to light the unity candle in the middle and then you blow those candles out, signaling that you're no longer individuals, but now you are becoming one and now you're united. There's also things like um, mixed 
sand, like mixing two different colors of sand together. And when you mix those two can those two colors of sand, you can't. It's very difficult to pick apart the little grains of sand to make them two separate again. Um, in my wedding, I did the white wine and red wine, and we each poured those two into one, and the wine mixed, and it became one. Um, so those these are just some of the the little rituals. I remember when I was at Bible school, one of my fellow hallmates, she was getting married, and I remember she was very adamant and very specific that she wanted to have the two individual candles, and then when they lit the unity candle, she wanted to take the individual candles and put them back in the candle holder because she didn't want to blow them out. She wanted to remain an individual and have her own sense of identity. And I remember being just appalled at this concept. (laughs) How could she do that? Like, that's so wrong to want to remain your own person. You're supposed to become one. So instead of becoming one, I want to propose that a healthier mindset would be, instead of becoming one or a melded one, instead be a united two. That feels like united it's unified but you still have two individuals coming together that are whole and that have opinions and and ideas and they come together not necessarily dependent on each other but they can function on their own which is really healthy and beautiful they can honor each other's differences of opinions and come to conclusions right instead of letting go of who they are as individuals and just agreeing or becoming a yes man or a yes woman, people pleasing, all these things that we think are supposed to be if you're one. I know I lost who I was in a lot of ways. There's this concept of ownership in relationships that this monogamous belief that we belong to our partner. And again, it's a very nice romantic notion that you belong to someone and that you're safe and that someone's going to take care of you. But at the end of the day, if you see yourself as belonging to someone, that someone owns you, you've lost your rights to yourself to be an autonomous individual. And that can be harmful. And when someone else owns you in their mind, They have a right to you and they have a right to be able to control you now. And then when you've got a toxic individual, maybe a narcissist or something, that is a right of theirs when they think that they own you or in the patriarchal system or in religious relationships, like Christian relationships where the man is the head of the home and he gets to make all the decisions, when that's taken out of context and skewed and he owns the wife and the children, their property, and it's it can be very harmful. And the wife doesn't feel like she has any recourse because that's God's will, is that she is now owned and she doesn't really get a say in her own thing. So you can see how this can could possibly be dangerous to be thinking like that. Again, it's a romantic notion, you know, to be owned by someone. It feels nice, but there's implications to that ownership that give people a right to jealousy and things like that. And on to jealousy. Jealousy means love in our culture. And this is a problematic belief because if you believe that 
your partner being jealous or controlling is love, then you're going to question your own feelings about whether you can be yourself or whether you have to conform to them to prevent them from feeling jealous. Then it's your responsibility, you know, instead of someone else's responsibility and how they deal with their jealousy, it can be a, you know, a little, a little tricky area. There's the, the idea of soulmate, which is nothing wrong with the soulmate, but there's this idea that you have one soulmate and that you need to find that one soulmate and marry them forever. Well, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to find your one soulmate in this whole world. What about other people that you connect to? I know I have many soulmates and I have beautiful connections with people. And the idea that just one person will be right for me is kind of very constricting. Um, and again, lots of pressure. Okay, the idea that sex before marriage is wrong. Well, it sounds like a noble idea. And in religious circles, that is, you know, purity and, and all these things. But this can be problematic because we don't just turn on overnight. You get married and all of a sudden, oh, now you can have sex. Desire is is not something that we can have, honestly. So we've talked about that in the sexual shame episode, and it can be problematic. Here's the other concept that comes along with that, is that sex is the glue that holds a relationship together. And I believe this fervently. I was engaged prior to... Um, getting married to someone else. I was engaged to someone else. And I remember they had had sex with someone before they were married. And this was a huge deal. And I cried over it and they cried over it. And it was just such a horrible thing to deal with. And the belief for me was that if sex is the glue that holds a relationship together, well, now he is glued partly to someone else. And it's this idea that tape, if you stick it to something and then take it off, it's less sticky. And so each time you peel the tape off, it gets less and less and less sticky. And if sex is the glue that holds your relationship together, uh, there's going to be a lot of issues with that. Number one, if they've been with someone else, you can't get that out of your mind. That's just something you're going to hang on to. And if there's problems, it's going to be because of that when that's not necessarily the case at all. Um, there's a lot of things I remember grieving and, and, you know, there was like this speaker that came to the this Bible school and was telling people how they could, you know, pray and, and be seen as virgins again in God's eyes and things like that. And, just the shame that was wrapped around that and people going to the front and and basically praying and having hoping that they'd be forgiven and that their future partners could forgive them it was just such a lot such grief for something that it, 
if you don't see it as the glue, as the end-all and be-all to your relationship, you're not going to put nearly that much weight on it. And, you know, you're not going to judge the the health of your, your relationship by the amount of sex that you're having or how good the sex is. Like, this is, this is problematic stuff. This is really potentially dangerous to, to put that much weight on sex. Um, it's just not a, it's just not a healthy mindset and it's not true. It's not necessarily true at all. The other thing that was very problematic for me, which you have heard and if you've listened to my first episode is that you should not have close guy friends. Um, this was very true in my circle, you know, like as a Christian wife, as a, a woman, a godly woman, I couldn't be friends with a guy. And I'd always, my best friends were always guys before. So they were who I related to. So all of a sudden I can't have friendships with guys because that could be taken wrong. It could look bad from the outside. You know, I could develop emotional connections to them. And then, whoa, what would that do to my marriage? Obviously, if I have an emotional connection to other people, my marriage is going to fall apart, right? Like that's seen as bad as as an affair in a lot of cases. So that was a big no-no, which was devastating to me because they were my people. Like they were my best friends. They understood me in a different way. So that, you know, can be problematic. Something we need to think about and evaluate. The last one I have written on my sort of my own personal things are one person should meet all your needs. This is so prevalent, you know, like we break up with people often because that person's not meeting all our needs like we thought they would, or they're probably the wrong person if they don't meet all our needs. Or you feel a tremendous amount of pressure to satisfy your partner all the time because they're your priority, they're your responsibilities, and you're supposed to meet their needs and they're supposed to meet yours. And quite frankly, I didn't work very hard to meet my own needs because, first of all, I thought that was selfish. Secondly, it was my partner's responsibility to meet my needs. And if not, that meant they didn't love me. And so I was sad all the time because my partner couldn't meet my needs and didn't know how because they aren't me. And I couldn't meet their needs. And there was always a frustration of putting your own needs aside to try to meet someone else's when you can't possibly meet someone else's needs because you're not them. So it's this really big circle. It goes around and around and it's very confusing and it's very difficult. And this idea that you're going to meet this one person that's going to meet all your needs and that responsibility is on each other. It's it that feels like a trap. It really does. But you don't think of it that way. And I mean, it's a very easy way to start resenting people. So these are some of the things that are, you know, I found very difficult um, and things that I feel that need to be looked at. Let's look at some songs in our culture. There's a lot of songs, lyrics to songs, and I wanted to find more, but man, I was having a hard time. Um, I don't know why, but I came up with a few that just kind of hit home, and you'll see this these concepts kind of come through. 
And then you'll see again, like when I when I go into sort of the relationship myths, um, you'll see how it's kind of reinforced in our in our songs. You know, this is part of our culture. This is part of our upbringing. How many times did you sit and listen to a song on the radio in high school and just ah, oh, you know? And, and long for what, what the, the love that it should be, should meet all your needs and give you butterflies and all this stuff. Like, I mean, love is the, the be all and end all in life and it solves everything according to songs. Yet it's so just heartbreaking when you lose love and all of a sudden it means you're not worthy and it proves all the things. And I mean, we've talked a little bit about attachment issues or whatever, but we're going to talk, talk about attachment styles, attachment issues, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so here we go. The songs. So the first song is How Do I Live Without You by Leanne Rhymes. So we've all heard that, right? How do I get through the night without you? If I had to live without you, what kind of life would that be? Oh, why? I need you in my arms, need you to hold. You're my world, my heart, my soul. If you ever leave, baby, you would take away everything good in my life. And tell me now, how do I live without you? I want to know, how do I breathe without you? If you ever go, how do I ever, ever survive? How do I, how do I, how do I live? You know, without you, there'd be no sun in my sky. There would be no love in my life. There'd be no world left for me. And I, baby, I don't know what I would do. I'd be lost if I lost you. If you ever leave, baby, you would take away everything real in my life. And this is this is the tone all the way through, right? I mean, do you see how desperate of a situation this is? How much pressure do we put on the person that we're with to fulfill us? Like, how do I live without you? Well, I mean, if you can't live without someone, there's something wrong there. Like, you should be in love with yourself enough that you could survive on your own. And it doesn't mean being alone. It doesn't mean not having people in your life. It doesn't mean not having connections in your life. But when you rely on just one person to, when you put that much onto one other person, that is a recipe for disaster because we cannot live up to that. We just can't. We never will. And it's not sustainable. So, you know, pay attention to those kinds of things. Another great one, so popular, is I Have Nothing by Whitney Houston. I have nothing, nothing if I don't have you. And it sounds like this wonderful love song. But share my life, take me for what I am, cause I'll never change all my colors for you. Take my love, I'll never ask for too much, just all that you are and everything that you do. Do you see how that flipped? I'll never ask for too much, just all that you are and everything that you do. I don't really need to look much further. I don't want to have to go where you don't follow. I won't hold it back again. This passion inside can't run from myself. There's nowhere to hide. 
but don't make me close one more door. I don't want to hurt anymore. Stay in my arms if you dare, or must I imagine you there? Don't walk away from me. I have nothing, nothing, nothing if I don't have you. You see through right to the heart of me. You break down my walls with the strength of your love. I never knew love like I've known it with you. Will a memory survive, one I can hold on to? I don't really need to look very much further. I don't want to have to go where you don't follow. I won't hold it back again, this passion inside. I can't run from myself. There's nowhere to hide. Your love I'll remember forever. And and if you see it like at the at the end, you know, stay stay in my arms if you dare, or must I imagine you there? Don't walk away from me. No, don't walk away from me. I have nothing, nothing, nothing without you. So this desperation, you know, and it's such a beautiful song. We really don't think about it, but wow. You know, I'm not going to ask for anything of you except for everything. <laughs> it's just ugh, very problematic. Another one that I really like, um, and it's just like, I really love this song. It's, it's like when I really looked at the lyrics, I was like, oh dear. Someone You Loved by Louis Capaldi. This one, I'm going under and this time I fear. I can't sing it because I'm not supposed to. I could get in trouble for it. So anyways, I'm going under and this time I fear there's no one to save me. This all or nothing really got a way of driving me crazy. I need somebody to heal, somebody to know, somebody to have, somebody to hold. It's easy to say, but it's never the same. I guess I kind of like the way you numbed all the pain. So that sounds a lot like addiction, which we would say is unhealthy. But people who are addicted, they want to numb all the pain. And then the chorus goes, now the day bleeds into nightfall and you're not here to get me through it all. I let my guard down and then you pulled the rug. I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. There's real pain there and that's okay to have pain. But this idea that how am I going to get through? How am I going to survive without you? I'm going under and this time I fear there's no one to turn to. This all or nothing way of loving got me sleeping without you. Now I need somebody to know, somebody to heal, somebody to have, just to know how it feels. It's easy to say, but it's never the same. I guess I kind of like the way you helped me escape. Now the day bleeds into nightfall and you're not here to get me through it all. I let my guard down and then you pulled the rug. I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. And I tend to close my eyes when it hurts sometimes. I fall into your arms. I'll be safe and sound till I come back around. For now the day bleeds into nightfall and you're not here to get me through it all. You know, as I let my guard down and then you pulled the plug, I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. And love is powerful. But when we, again, put everything on that person and like use them to numb and use them to make us feel worthy, that is a problem. Okay, the next one, You Are the Reason by Calum Scott. And again, I love this song. I love it. so beautiful. I don't know if all of you will know this, but um, There Goes My Heart Beating, 
because you are the reason. I'm losing my sleep. Please come back now. And there goes my mind racing, and you are the reason that I'm still breathing. I'm hopeless now. I'd climb every mountain and swim every ocean just to be with you and fix what I've broken. Oh, because I need you to see that you are the reason. There goes my hand shaking, and you are the reason. My heart keeps bleeding. I need you now. And if I could turn back the clock, I'd make sure the light defeated the dark. I'd spend every hour of every day keeping you safe. And I'd climb every mountain and swim every ocean just to be with you and fix what I've broken. Oh, because I need you to see that you are the reason. I don't want to fight no more. I don't want to hide no more. I don't want to cry no more. Come back. I need you to hold me. Be a little closer now. Just a little closer now. Come a little closer. I need you to hold me tonight. And then back to I'd climb every mountain and swim every ocean just to be with you and fix what I've broken because I need you to see that you are the reason. And again, this sounds very romantic and wonderful. Oh, I would love if someone did that for me, you know, like just fight for me. That, and, and that's fine. But I would do all this just to be with you and fix what I've broken because I need you because you're the reason that I can live. Again, that is putting a lot on one person. And it's not healthy to be that I'm not going to say that vested in someone. It's beautiful to have a strong connection to have that much love for someone. But when it becomes a need rather than a want, then we start to have problems because again, then we have expectations and then we have disappointment and we have resentment towards people when they don't meet those needs. The next one, this is a good one. When a man loves a woman by Michael Bolton. I mean, this is originally by Percy Sledge, I believe. Um, but listen to this. I mean, this is this is one of those great songs of all time. And uh, as women, as a woman, I was like, oh, yes, yes, yes. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'll trade the world for the good thing he's found. If she is bad, he can't see it. Love is blind? Is that the, is that the word? She can do no wrong. So if she is bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong. He'll turn his back on his best friend if he put her down. When a man loves a woman, spend his very last dime trying to hold on to what he needs. He'd give up all of his comforts, sleep out in the rain if she said that's the way it ought to be. Well, this man loves a woman. I gave you everything I had, trying to hold on to your high-class love. Baby, please don't treat me bad. When a man loves a woman, deep down, or down deep in his soul, she can bring such misery. If she has played him for a fool, he's the last one to know. Love and eyes can't ever see when a woman loves, when a man loves a woman. He can do her no wrong. He can never own some other girl. Yes, when a man loves a woman, I know exactly how he feels because baby, 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 you're my world. So there's a lot of things in there that, again, sound wonderful, but if you really look at it, they're problematic. You know, you're my world. Um, 
he'd give up all his comforts and sleep out in the rain if she said that's the way it ought to be? What kind of man is that? He he just gives up everything that he desires for someone else? And she can just do what she wants? This is like the, you know, a great example of people pleasing at its finest, giving up your own desires and your rights for someone else because you think that that is what's important and that that's what we need. That's what's expected. When you love someone, you give up who you are. You give everything up for that person. Well, that's going to come with resentment. It doesn't matter how good the relationship is. If you give up a, who you are, essentially, you're going to resent that. It's not healthy. And you rely on someone else for your happiness, for your joy, for your peace of mind. It's just, it can be very problematic. And the last one I threw in here is, Someday my prince will come from Snow White. And this, I mean, this is how it starts. <laughs> Little girls dream about their prince charming coming to save them and rescue them, you know? And it, it sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the Disney movies now are, are showing that the women are more powerful than that than just to sit around and wait for a man to come and rescue them. And, um, but like, this is what, this is what, you know, a lot of us grew up on. Someday my prince will come. Someday I'll find my love. And how thrilling that moment will be. When the prince of my dreams comes to me, he'll whisper I love you and steal a kiss or two. Though he's far away, I'll find my love someday. Someday when my dreams come true. Someday I'll find my love, someone to call my own, and I know at that moment we meet, at the moment we meet, my heart will start skipping the beats. Someday we'll say and do things we've been longing to. Though he's far away, I'll find my love someday, someday when my dreams come true. Someday my prince will come, someday we'll meet again, and away to his castle we'll go, to be happy forever, I know. Someday when spring is here, we'll find our love anew, and the birds will sing and wedding bells will ring someday when my dreams come true. What I'd like to know is what you do in the meantime. Do you just not, your dreams can't come true without your prince coming? Do you see how this is problematic? You know, your life is spent searching and waiting and hoping for something else because y you need that in order to be fulfilled. You're not okay alone in, in this, you know, and it has to be the right one, right? Like we, we've talked about, you know, needing to find your soulmate. So with that in mind, let's go into mononormative myths that we have been led to believe. And some of this is repetition, but I think the more we hear it, the more it kind of will stick. Um, there's a book called Designer Relationships. And really, I it's just such a great book. And I think that um, we all should read this book. It's called a Designer Relationships, A Guide to Happy Monogamy, Positive Polyamory, and Optimistic Open Relationships. So again, never am I saying that monogamy is not good and that you can't be happy with monogamy. 
But if we don't shift our thinking and, and shift some of these mononormative myths that we have, we're going to risk being unhappy and struggling in life and struggling in our relationships. And we're not going to understand why. And it doesn't matter if you're monogamous, polyamorous, open relationship, swinger, whatever it is, these myths, if you believe them, are going to affect your relationship in a negative way. So the first one is that romantic love is the only foundation for an enduring relationship. What do you think about that? I find that that is pretty pretty specific. Like, it doesn't take into consideration that we can have enduring, loving, deep relationships that are platonic. It, it says that only romantic love. And so anything that isn't romantic love, in essence is not enough. Like, we haven't arrived. We could have the best friend in the world, the best platonic tribe that you could possibly have in your life, surrounded by people that you love. Yet if you have this belief that romantic love is the only foundation for an enduring relationship, you're going to feel like you've missed the mark. You're going to feel like you haven't arrived. You haven't done the thing that you're here to do. And I think that's very sad. You know, until the 18th or 19th century, love, especially the passionate romantic variety, was generally seen as being, at best, a fringe benefit of marriage. And romantic love was often thought of as being an impediment. <laughs> and this is still true in cultures where arranged marriages are prevalent. You know, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet celebrates a mad, passionate, youthful, and unsustainable form of love. And the play was written at the dawn of a modern era at a, tradition, a transitional moment and when love and marriage were just starting to go together. So this concept was like, oh, you know, and we want all that. But there doesn't have to be that kind of passion and intensity and all this stuff to have an enduring relationship, you know. And I think that this is important um, because if – if you do think about, if you're constantly only looking for this romantic love, you might be disappointed in life. And, and there's so much beautiful life, beautiful love that can surround us and we would miss it if we think that this is the only way. Um, you know, there's many, many different kinds of, of relationships. Anyways, this is just a prevalent myth. Um, the, the, another one is that you need to find a soulmate. And this is like, well, this is so, 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 so big, especially in the online dating world. And I've talked about it, you know, a little bit before, this idea of soulmate and needing to have that. Um, and that the soulmate is the key to forming a true pair bond. And that in the absence of this other half, no intimate relationship will be fully satisfying. And they're two very damaging concepts. Um, first, that there is a single ideal partner out there in the world for every individual. And secondly, 
that the people are incomplete until they find their other half. And that is the problem with this mindset. I just want to read a few things um, in this book. It's online dating and unrealistic expectations. And here's some phrases found in online dating profiles. They reflect many of the misguided ideas about relationships that are reinforced by the process of looking for the one, quote unquote, online and in the real world. So here we go. Juliet, Juliet, where art thou, Juliet? Is there an empty spot in your heart with room for me? Is there an empty spot in your life with room for me? A Fitzwilliam Darcy searching for my Lizzie. Whew. I think if I read that, I'd be like, run, run. So this is, <laughs> these are the kinds of things that people think that they need, right? This is how they're looking for love. And they wonder why they're struggling. Um, I'm looking for a man who will love me through my flaws and who can appreciate a real woman. Looking for my soulmate. Are you the one for me? Another one. I believe that love is two people struggling to become one. And I talked about that becoming one idea. Hope to hear from my Prince Charming. There's a Prince Charming one. Dot, dot, dot. Possibly somebody brighter and cleverer or younger at heart than me to stop me becoming a boring old fart. <laughs> Another one. I'm looking for a man who will love me the way I am and who will think I am the one and the only one in the world for him. Well, there we go. There's a, that's a tall order. Looking for someone to make my tummy do that somersault thingy and to assist me in getting my mojo back. The one that will be sitting next to me on a plastic chair in the old folks' home. I mean, that sounds kind of romantic, but who will assist me in getting my mojo back? Like, if you're not happy at all without that person like why not work on getting your mojo back with your friends and building a life um and then and then going straight to the plastic chair in the old folks home like that that is the definition of success right <laughs> and i don't know see i think these are problematic sometimes I'm trying to find that special someone to hold my hand, be my friend, and walk with me through completeness. Completeness. Again, there's that phrase that you are not enough by yourself. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not saying you have to be by yourself or that you have to be lonely. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just this idea that you aren't complete unless you are with this romantic soulmate that you have found that to be your forever, right? That this concept of us searching for that is very problematic because we live life thinking we've failed if we haven't found that, or we're looking for something that actually doesn't really exist. We are putting too much expectation on one person and we're not taking our own responsibilities for our own needs being met and figuring out the things that we need. Here's another one. My life is not complete. I need to share it. Okay. Why is your life not complete? And and what is it about your life that isn't complete? You know, maybe look, look at that. I simply want to date one man and leave this site for good. How hard should that be? 
Well, I've heard many people kind of have that mentality and they wonder why they can't find someone. But right there, there's this like negative thing that the world owes them this one person and then their life will be right. They can leave this site for good. How hard should that be? And I mean, that one just makes me want to run. So we can see that this is really, these, this concept of finding your soulmate really pervades the, the dating, the dating of today, right? Then we've got, they lived happily ever after. And again, this is a concept that little girls are, well, and boys, they're taught from early on watching Disney movies and everything. Um, you know, this fairy tale romance. And they lived happily ever after the end. I mean, you barely see the wedding. You know, we all know that the honeymoon phase is wonderful and, you know, happily ever after for maybe a week, an hour, you know. And then there's something because we aren't perfect. We're not, you know, we're not. It's just not. It's not real. (laughs) happily ever after and it's not that we can't be happy and that we can't you know live with with one person um for the rest of our life and be happy but it's this message that things are going to be easy if you find the right person and they meet your needs and of course we're going to be disappointed when those things don't happen because it can't happen If you expect one person to meet your needs and complete you and fulfill you and all these things, that is going to be a disappointment in itself. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, it's, it's really important that we, that we realize that this is a fantasy and we need to be realistic so that we can make decisions and so that we can, you know, own our own stuff in relationships Okay, the next one, myth number four, is desiring someone else is a form of infidelity. Well, we are tribal people. We are, we are community-driven. We are designed to connect to people. And so if we say that desiring someone else is a form of infidelity, first of all, we are implying that once we get married or find the one that we love, we won't have any desire anymore in our bodies, which is very false. Um, have you um, noticed many people that are cheating? Uh, infidelity is huge. Because (laughs) this is not true. It's a myth. Desiring someone else is not a form of infidelity. Acting on it in a dishonest way, cheating and breaking your commitments and your agreements, that is infidelity, not desiring someone else. Those feelings don't just go away. Um, You know, Freud expressed these you know this idea took shape in the 18th the 19th century sorry um freud had a big part to play in this idea that 
mature sexuality finds its outlet in a single object of desire, and other forms of desire either immature or pathological. Well, the psychology, here's a quote from Bertrand Russell in Marriage and Morals from 1929. The psychology of adultery has been falsified by conventional morals, which assume in monogamous countries that attraction to one person cannot coexist with affection for another. Everybody knows that this is untrue. And yet, here we are living with this myth and feeling terribly guilty inside if we have a desire or if we have an attraction to someone else. We can't talk about it. We certainly can't bring it up to our spouse or to our partner because, you know, that just the desire alone is a form of infidelity and they're going to think that they're not enough or that we don't love them enough if we even talk about it. So this myth is is dangerous, right? It's very dangerous. Um, okay, the fifth myth is monogamy is natural, evolutionarily determined, optimal, or divinely ordained. So interesting that it's all put in one category, but if you think that monogamy is natural because, you know, it's, it's evolutionally determined or that it's the best thing, it's optimal for our survival or that it's divinely ordained. These are all kind of similar things. And, and one of the, this evolutionary, I, I know that in, um, the biology. Okay, so it says, according to the crudest form of this narrative, contemporary relationship structures are rooted in the behavior and biology of our Pleistocene ancestors. It holds that men by nature want to spread their seed by having as many partners as possible, and women are looking for a provider, using their sex appeal to ensnare the alpha male. When a child is produced, the bond with the child tames the man keeps his urges in check, and ties him down to a life of supporting his family. That is, unless and until his old instincts are triggered, usually by some younger, more alluring woman, we've come a long way since Shakespeare's era, when female nature needed to be tamed. The taming of the shrew is, is exactly that. Like, this idea that that has to be tamed, that a woman, you know, it's it's just such an interesting concept. It, it it's just it's it's very strange. Um, that is optimal. Well, is it optimal? Is it optimal that romantic love as the foundation for lifelong monogamy in a nuclear family is somehow evolutionary determined, or even worse, is evolution's end point it's it's a simplistic in the extreme right um since that novel is rare in human history having become dominant only after the industrial revolution like conservative religious models so if we want to look at divinely appointed conservative religious models of marriage say that um you know, it, I was taught one man, one woman, and that that is 
that is the only way and that's the right way. But if you look at polygyny is commonplace in the Old Testament and it was even divinely mandated in the case of um, in the case of one of the stories where uh, Mar- the one character, he, he needed to marry his brother's widow if there's no heir. So this is this is in the Bible that this has to happen. So if a man is married and he dies and the woman that he's married to doesn't have children, then the brother, whether he's married or not, needs to marry her so that she can have children and carry on the family line. Well, that is not monogamy. That is not monogamy. And even it's accepted in the New Testament. You know, if we we go in the early years of the church, it was banned for religious officials, uh, but not for all believers. And, And this is where this idea that, you know, the priests couldn't be married and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and then it became like this traditional thing where there's one man, one woman, a house full of children. Um, and, and I think that this happened because women and children were property and it was a way to keep people together. It was a way to keep control over people, um, it is, let's see. So it says that, okay, regardless of what our Pleistocene ancestors may have done, regardless of what the Bible says, regardless of cultural practices, and regardless of the controversy over what is natural, there is abundant ethnographic evidence suggesting that humans continue to have a wide variety of relationship structures. There is also abundant evidence to suggest that there is some truth to the evolution evolutionary psychologists argument that many or most of us are wired for some measure of pair bonding. Designer relationships allow people to consider a broad spectrum of possible relationship styles and craft an approach that suits their circumstances. So what works and not what's supposed to be divinely ordained, natural, or normal is what's optimal. And so we have this myth that this is, you know, that monogamy is the only way and that's that's the best way and it's always been that way. But that's not the case. It hasn't always been that way. And you can even see it in the Bible that it hasn't been that way if you want to go there. So we have to understand like sort of the history and why, you know, why this has become the cultural norm. And it's easy to keep track of families in our society. It It's set up to work for monogamy and you know your spouse gets benefits and this and that it would you know it's just the way it's set up so anyways it's it's one of those myths that people try to to claim to sort of discount anything other than non-monogamy but it's not necessarily necessarily true so we have to be careful there the last mononormative myth is that there is a right way to be sexual sex before marriage is wrong right um, is one of them. There's a right way to be sexual, meaning that, you know, having, if you're a woman, having sex with a man is the only right way. Well, what about people who are bisexual or people who are 
gay and lesbian. Like that is not taken into account. And especially in religious circles, right? Like that is not something that is allowed. And what about if you're asexual? You know, is that, is there something wrong there that sex has to be within marriage or this or that? So, I mean, we have a lot of um, just misconceptions. You know, we've heard claims that like vibrators are addictive and therefore shouldn't be used. Uh, porn, pornography is wrong or that, um, genital, genital intercourse. So penis and vagina sex is the paramount sexual act and that other acts aren't really sex at all. Some people still think that oral and anal intercourse as unnatural, they see them as unnatural and degrading. Um, so, I mean, it's, this is why sex positivity is so important, right? Because we can look at these myths and go, oh, well, why are those things wrong? And, whoa, this really affects us, you know? Because um, if you think that, for instance, a woman shouldn't have desire, that she should hide her desire, then a woman, as a woman, you're not going to ask for what you want. And you're going to think it's normal that a man can have what he wants and ask for what he wants um, but it's okay if you're not satisfied. I mean, that can be an unhealthy thing, but you could live with that going, well, that's, that's normal. I'm not supposed to desire you, right? Like there's only one way and, you know, women don't always orgasm or whatever. And you're going to just be like, okay, well, that's just my lot in life, right? So I think it's really important that we really take a look at all these things and really look into into these myths and why they're wrong. All right, the next set of myths that I want to look at, and I'll try to be quick here, um, are myths about sluts. So this is from the book, The Ethical Slut. And I think that this is very interesting, and I'm going to point something out after. So... We're going to see a lot of the similarities. So one is mononormative myths, and the other one is myths about sluts. I want you to see how much overlap there is here. One, long-term monogamous relationships are the only real relationships. That plays into this notion of romantic loves, the only foundation for an enduring relationship. It's very similar. It's saying that being with one person in a relationship is the only real relationship. So right away, if someone is not having just one relationship, that makes them sluts. Do you see where that can go? And there's shame that is inherently in that. Uh, romantic love is the only real love. We saw that. That's kind of that. Romantic love is the only foundation for an enduring relationship. Romantic love is the only real love. So we're saying that romantic love is the only real love. It's problematic. Why? Because if someone wants to have sex with someone and they don't romantically love them, then there, there's some sort of shame tied to that. Anyways, it, it can be we can go down a rabbit hole there, but... It's interesting. Um, 
sexual desire, here's the third one, sexual desire is a destructive force. And I alluded to this before where it's like desire, and this is especially for women that we've struggled with this idea, right, is that sexual desire is inherently wrong. It's destructive in our relationships. Um, it's a destructive force. We we were to keep that hidden women who, you know, would go to the, the doctors and doctors would call them hysterical because they, I don't know, if they had sexual urges or anything like that. Like it just, it was so shamed. Um, but to think of sexual desire as a destructive force, then of course you're going to be shaming anybody who is wanting to have sex outside of the the norms of monogamy, right? Like that's just definitely going to be the case. Um, and again, here's another myth about sluts, that four, the only moral way to have sex is within a committed relationship. So all the, these four here, it just really keeps alluding to this, this committed relationship can only be romantic and the only moral way to have sex is within this committed relationship. And long-term monogamous relationships are the only real relationships. So really, if you don't have a long-term monogamous relationship, if you, if you don't last forever, then it's not valid. Like, there's this inherent belief that there's something wrong with this all the time. Oh, this is a big one. Number five, loving someone makes it okay to control their behavior. Let me read that again. Loving someone makes it okay to control their behavior. I don't know about you, but I see this a lot. And this is called toxic relationships. Now a lot of people are realizing that if someone is controlling your behavior, that is not okay, that that is toxic, that's not right. But we still hang on to this idea that when you love someone, you somehow can still control their behavior. And this is problematic. This is a myth. It's not true. I get to decide what I do with my body. I get to decide what I like. I get to decide who I want to be friends with. I get to decide these things for myself and nobody can tell me those things or control me. We can have conversations and respect each other and work out agreements that work for the both of us, but it is not okay to control people's behavior. But again, this idea that jealousy, if my partner's jealous, that means they love me and that it's okay to be controlled by them or it's okay for them to be jealous because that just means they love me. This is, this is not okay. Jealousy, number six, jealousy is inevitable and impossible to overcome. Wrong, 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 wrong. Jealousy does not have to be inevitable. If we think of it as love, as it you know, we have a right to control our partner if we love them, then of course jealousy is going to be inevitable and impossible to overcome. But if we see that that is a myth, that we have control over our actions and that if someone doesn't belong to us, we can give them autonomy, we can understand things, isn't a personal direct attack to us or doesn't mean that we're unworthy if someone does something that 
we don't like or that we wouldn't do. Like, it's just ludicrous. But this is so prevalent. This is how we are wired in our in our culture. And it's important to realize and point out these myths. It's really important. Number seven, outside involvements reduce intimacy in the primary relationship. So what this is saying is that if I have really good friends outside of my relationship, that that is going to reduce the intimacy with my primary relationship. Well, with friends, like that's not a big deal. We don't, we can have other friends. But some are threatened by friends outside of the relationship. Like that, it's, it's kind of crazy. It says jealousy is without a doubt a very common experience. So much so that a person who doesn't experience jealousy is looked at as a bit odd or in denial. But often a situation that would cause intense jealousy for one person can be no big deal for another. And some people get jealous when their honey takes a sip out of someone else's Coke, while others happily watch their beloved wave by for the month of an amorous sporting event with a friend at the far end of the country. Like, we just are programmed that there, there's no way that could be. And we need to, like, you know, make sure... You need to send your boyfriend with a t-shirt of your face on it um, to make sure that people know that he belongs to you. And, you know, you being a jealous woman is is definitely expected and no woman should come near your man or talk to him even or even look at him. And your man better not look at someone else as a man. No other guy should talk to your woman or, you know, look her up and down or, or this or that or try to have a conversation with her. It's just, it, ugh, it's just yucky. But it just this jealousy thing. I mean, we all have feelings of jealousy, yes. But to think that it's okay to behave in that way, to be controlling of other people, is just, we don't think of that as a problem. But it is a problem. Um, the outside involvements reduce in intimacy. Oh, that's what I was talking about. Um, you know, most marriage counselors and certain popular TV psychologists believe that when a member of an otherwise happy couple has an affair, this must be a symptom of unresolved conflict or unfulfilled needs that should be dealt with in the primary relationship. And this is occasionally true, but the relationship, a lot of the relationship gurus say that this is like, if someone sleeps with someone else, it's because they they're getting back at their their spouse for something it certainly couldn't be because they actually love someone else like there's no room to love more than one person um outside involvements though i find in my relationship that when i have deep friendships with other people other men um people outside of my relationship i have such an appreciation for my partner because the fact that they're letting me be me, my authentic self means that I, it increases the intimacy between us because builds trust and love and we get continue to choose each other. And I think that, you know, restricting all outside involvement often can be really dangerous because we lose this concept of 
being able to choose, like that is very powerful to have your partner can have other choices because you're not holding on so tight and they don't own you. And the fact that they still continue to choose you is such a beautiful thing. But we seem to think that this is like going to hinder the intimacy and da, da, da. I mean, if you give all your time away to someone else and never pay attention to your partner, yeah, that is going to reduce intimacy. But that's not what we're talking about. They're just, uh, there's such fear mongering around, you know, having any kind of intimacy with, with other people that it's an absolute no-no, but that's a myth. It doesn't have to be that way. Okay. The eighth myth about sluts is that love conquers all. Well, Hollywood tells us that love means never having to say you're sorry and that you won't disagree, that you won't have to argue. You should never have to communicate or negotiate or do any of the things that require work because if you have love, that should be enough. If it's the right love, it should be enough. And that's a lot of pressure. Um, so again, this like concept that love fixes everything or heals you or fulfills you or fills you. I, it, it's Again, it's a nice romantic notion and there's a lot of beautiful things to this. And, you know, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but at the same time, we have to be really careful about what these things mean and what they imply. I find it interesting that monogamy myths are so similar to the myths about sluts. And that, again, shows this need for sex positivity versus shame, right? Like this, this shame is so built into our culture around sexuality that, all the myths about sluts have to do with sort of these mononormative relationship myths because it's a way to protect and hang on to things that we think are the most important or, you know, to, to further these myths of, of what our beliefs are when it comes to relationships. So how do we change our perceptions? It's important to examine these myths. We want to take a look at them. Realize where they're harmful and make shifts to our programming. And that's why it's important to, you know, to to reevaluate and to take a look at these things and not just take them for granted because I guarantee they're going to be affecting your relationship in some way. Whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, they those ideologies are prevalent and they really do affect how we see things. And so once we untangle those and reprogram, shift our programming, untangle some of these be beliefs and separate the myths from the truth, then we are ready to make changes and we can be more authentic in who we are. We can break free and be authentic. We can do it in an authentic, beautiful way where we're not just like, well, okay, this doesn't work and, and you're a terrible person and I'm leaving you and blah, 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 blah. Like that's not, that's not what we're talking about. I think we really need to evaluate and, and see where some of these myths have been affecting us. So do you find that your relationships have been affected by these myths? Do you, do you see where they have seeped into your relationship? If so, are you ready to make changes and do you need to work at shifting your mindset? Well, if that's the case, I would love for you to reach out and book a discovery call with me. It is a complimentary discovery call and we can work through 
shifting this programming so that you can be free to create the healthy relationships that you desire in whatever form that works for you. So the style of relationship that works for you is the right one for you. What works for someone else isn't necessarily right for you. So don't let these myths dictate what is right for you. You get to figure that out. So first we have to untangle the myths. We have to figure out what's true for you and what works and why. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't love yourself. Maybe you don't have, maybe you don't feel worthy and that's affecting all your personal relationships. That's so important. And I think that, you know, if we take a look at our self-worth and our self-love, people don't realize how important that is that every relationship starts with you. You are the common denominator in every relationship you have. And if you don't love who you are, if you're dependent on other people to meet your needs and to fulfill you and to make you to, to feel validated, you're going to suffer because you're not, it doesn't matter how much someone tells you something about yourself. If you don't believe it yourself, it doesn't matter. If someone says you're worthy, but you don't feel worthy, it doesn't matter how many times they tell you. And at the end of the day, you're going to blame them for something of why you don't feel love, but really it's your belief in yourself. It's your belief. It's your shame. It's your guilt. It's all these things that are affecting how you see yourself. And when you see yourself as whole and worthy and beautiful and worthy of love, then you come as a whole person and you're not desperately seeking something from someone. You're not taking their energy. You're not taking from them. Two whole people come together and they give to each other in a loving, honest way. I say two people, but every relationship that you have, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship or whatever it is, there is beauty in that relationship when you come together as whole people. And it doesn't mean that you can't help each other become better because really at the end of the day that's what we want we want people that are going to help us grow and continue to be the best version of ourselves not pull us back keep us where they are or pull us back because they're threatened by us being better than them i there's a lot there's a lot wrong with that so we just have to be really careful next week we are going to probably look at um monogamy and and maybe non-monogamy and and the differences in in what styles of relationships are possible you know when we look at this these myths and kind of get rid of these myths we can start to see where there's you know myths of of non-monogamy and and how those play into our culture and why that's judged so heavily because my goal is that people have the ability to make the choices that they want without guilt or shame. And I want to remove the stigma of open relationships, ethical non-monogamy, because it works really well for a lot of people. But that's because when it works, we've gotten rid of some of these, these myths, these, these problematic ideologies that hold us back, these toxic things that create toxic relationships. Um, so I'm not saying monogamy is toxic. Please don't get me wrong. I'm saying we hold on to 
myths and patterns of beliefs that do affect our relationships, which often can become toxic. So with that said, I think I'm going to close off for the day because, well, it's very, very, very late and I am going to go to bed soon. (laughs) Anyways, I love you all and I'm so glad um, you came today. So glad you listened. Uh, We'll be back next week with a new episode. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is when new episodes come out. So I've got a beautiful Facebook community that I would love for you to join. And all these links will be in the... uh, Sorry, (laughs) I'm tired. All these links will be in the show notes. So make sure you check out the show notes for links um, to my Instagram and, and to my... Facebook group and all these things that you can do, but I really would love for you to reach out. Let me know what you think. I'd love for you to um, subscribe to the mailing list, but you'll hear that again. I love you. Remember, and when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Have a great week. Mwah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Kareen Bedard Coaching, and you can visit my website at kareenbedard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a like and share it with your friends. I'd be so grateful if you could help by giving us a five-star review on Podchaser or iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list to be kept up to date about upcoming episodes and exciting news. Just visit our website at breakingfreeauthentically.com and scroll down to subscribe. You can also email me anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Send your messages and questions to kareen at kareenbedard.com. Are you a part of my Facebook community yet? Join us in Breaking Free Authentically. It's where you will find this sex-positive relationship community. I'd be thrilled to have you be a part of this community with me. All the links will be in the show notes, so don't forget to check it out. Remember, when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Have a great week.